0: Well hello friends, welcome to Friday and welcome to July. We start a new month today and we are continuing through Psalm 51, so welcome to Enough for Today and thanks for joining me. Open your Bible to Psalm 51, three parts to the Psalm, cleanse me, restore me, use me. David's repenting, he's coming back to God after a, an egregious sin, adultery and murder, and yet God's grace, God's mercy is bigger, greater than all of our regrets and all of our failures. And so he prayed in verse 14, deliver me from, from blood guilt, from the guilt of shedding innocent blood. Uh, loose my tongue so I can sing of your righteousness and open my lips so I can show forth your praise, verse 15. Now we pick it up today in verse 16. And he says, and I love these next few verses, so this is going to, um, again, take us a whole new to a whole new place. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart o oh god thou wilt not despise so let's just pause here and unfold these two verses because this is an amazing insight for an old testament believer and it gives us a sense that of how far off track uh, the jewish people had become in their rote traditionalism, just going through the motions, going through the sacrifices, which is what we studied a couple of Psalms ago, where God was really confronting them. I think that was 49, confronting them about going through motions and hypocrisy. And he was saying, I don't want more offerings. I don't want more goats and lambs. Uh, I don't need to drink blood and eat meat. They had turned him into this. uh, They had perverted the whole system. And David knows this, and and this is these these verses in Psalm fifty one are gospel verses. All of these verses are, and it helps us understand the the thread of the narrative all the way through of the gospel. It helps us understand that Old Testament believers, um, those who under those who were willing to, understood the essence of the gospel. They couldn't fill in all the blanks as we can today, uh, looking back on the unfolding drama but they had enough information <clears throat> to understand that they're guilty before God and sin they had enough information to understand they could not work their way and that sacrifices did not really truly fully atone for sin they had enough information to understand that God promised a sacrifice for their sins promised a savior who would be the ultimate sacrifice that he himself would provide a lamb okay They had enough understanding to to know that true faith, true salvation was only from God, not by works, faith in the coming sacrifice of God. And they had enough information to understand that that could only all unfold on the basis of God's mercy and grace as they received it from God in total dependence. Therefore, all of their sacrifices all of their ceremony and traditions flowed out of those principles and out of that faith. So sacrifices in the Old Testament system at the temple, um, those feast days, those sacrificial moments, those times of offerings um, were designed in essence to be expressions of faith very similar to how you would give an offering today in your local church. But, uh, Not out of obligation, not out of legal uh, duty, not out of begrudging necessity. I have to, I ought to No, out of the fact that you are saved and you are living in the grace and mercy of God. And so all of your giving, excuse me, all of your serving, all of your growing comes out of all that God's already given you, all that God's already doing for you. So David understands that because he says you don't desire sacrifice. The end position, the sacrifice was simply an expression of something else, okay? It's kind of like saying um, the sacrifices are a Polaroid of the faith of the heart, okay? Where there's no faith, the Polaroid is of no value, okay? So imagine you had a Polaroid camera and you could take a picture of someone you loved, and you could take it with you on a on a far journey. And you were going to be separated from that person for a long time. You would take out that Polaroid and look at it, and it would be very meaningful to you. Why? Not because you love Polaroids, but because you love the person in the picture. And you would rather have the person present than just have the Polaroid. If you had the choice, um, the Polaroid really has only... Um, representative value, okay? It doesn't have intrinsic value. The person, the value of the person that you love far and infinitely exceeds the value of the Polaroid because that's where the substance is, okay? The Polaroid is not the substance, it's the picture of the substance, it's the representation, it's the reminder of the substance. Even so, sacrifices to God. Like like today when we give offerings or when we do Lord's table or whatever, <clears throat> these things are pictures that we do in remembrance. They're Polaroid snapshots of the great love that God has for us until we see him, until we're with him. They're Polaroid snapshots to God of our true faith. So you, you'd, <clears throat> you would not fall so in love with a Polaroid that had you given the choice, had you had the option of spending life with the person or spending life with the Polaroid, you would say, no, 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 I want the Polaroid. But that's what religion does. Religion says, trust in the deeds, trust in the works, trust in the system, trust in the artifacts. God says, "I I don't delight in the artifacts. I delight in the substance. I don't want your artifacts. I don't want your offerings and your blood and your sacrifices. I want you. I don't want the Polaroid. I want the substance. And so David understands that. And he says, God, I know you don't just delight in sacrifice uh, or, or I would give it. <clears throat> you don't delight in just simply the artifact or the polar word of the burnt offering. Sacrifices of God, the true substance sacrifice is that of a broken spirit. You see, an offering brought to God in the Old Testament era without a repentant heart, without a broken spirit, without a broken and contrite heart, okay? Let's define these words. To break, to destroy, to crush, to be destroyed. That's broken, okay? Contrite is uh, to crush or to be crushed. So this is, now I want to try to unfold this for a minute because we've talked before about repentance when we started this psalm. And I made the, I made the uh, statement that repentance isn't merely emotion, okay? You can have <clears throat> emotional remorse. You can shed tears and not have true repentance. Um, and you can truly be repentant without having emotion, okay? Uh, the goodness of God can lead us to repentance. Brokenness and contrition may involve emotion, but it's bigger and it's deeper and it's more substantive than emotion. This is uh, an objective reality that before, and I want you to, if we can, I want you to try to draw, I want to try to split the hairline between emotional brokenness and contrition and objective judicial um, brokenness and contrition. Okay. So, one may produce the other, um, but subjective emotion is not always brokenness and contrition. That's what I want to say, okay? So, and there is nothing in the Bible, there's no measuring stick in the Bible by which we measure a certain number of tears, a certain level of emotion, a certain depth of anguish that valid, that makes my contrition or brokenness valid, okay? Let me give you an example. Someone that may truly be deeply internal, and not demo- not heavily emotional in their persona, in their personality, may experience a deep brokenness and a deep contrition, but it may not be visible. It may not be demonstrated. It may not be put out on the level of their crying, their they're anguish, their their uh, their depth of despair is obvious and visible to everybody. It may just be deeply understood. Okay, because This is first factual, um, intellectually objective before it is emotionally subjective or experiential, okay? This is a condition before God that is a reality. My sin breaks me in God's presence. It flattens me. It crushes me. I am judicially under uh, the condemnation of God's laws. And that contrition of, of, of crushing, I am... I am flattened before God. It is an objective reality. I'm nobody. This this levels the ground. This, this breaks me down before God and opens me up. There's nothing to hide. There's no pretense. There's no hypocrisy. I'm completely crushed under the judicial authority of God. That is an objective, factual, static reality. Okay? Out of that can flow an emotional response. Um, But reckoning, excuse me, reckoning with that brokenness, that contrition, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The reason I'm I'm diving into this is because I've seen environments where a certain level of demonstrable emotion is almost provoked or coerced out of people, and those who don't have it are deemed unrepentant. But sometimes I've seen people that are genuinely repentant, It's not visible to the human eye, okay? So I think it's really important that we understand emotion can be subjective and and different kinds of personalities can experience different kinds of emotions in different ways. So it's really dangerous to just make this a subjective metric where we're trying to evaluate ourselves or others by this. And really we need to see this, that um, bringing God a broken, humble spirit, a spirit that is not defiant, defensive, hypocritical, covering up, blame shifting, uh, a spirit that's open and owning my sin, a spirit that reckons with him that I am flattened, I am crushed. And then out of that, if that whatever level of remorse, regret and emotional uh, response that produces, that's all good and healthy for the moment. And the other thing I want to say here is God doesn't want me to stay in the depths of despair. If this experience brings me to despair, God's redemption immediately wants to bring me back to joy. That's what David prays. Restore to me the joy. Help me to experience joy and gladness. So in the first position, my sin crushes me and flattens me. But God's not going to leave me there long. Redemption, grace, mercy lifts me back up so that I can experience true joy. So my friend, yes, God, first of all, in the first position, we come to God uh, in authenticity, not just going through motions and doing penance, not just offering sacrifices. Works don't cover sins, okay? We come in sincerity, a, a, a broken spirit <clears throat> and a contrite heart, a broken and a contrite heart you desire. So it's not ritual that forgives my sins. It's mercy and grace based on the authentic, uh, humble repentance of my heart. But secondly, true repentance is not necessarily a certain measurable amount of emotion. It may produce emotion, but it is an objective reality of being humbled before God. And then God wants to lift me up. He doesn't want me to stay there. Prolonged despair is not repentance. It is a distraction to true repentance. So experience joy today, my friend, and have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.